Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. My name is Bruce and I'm on staff here as one of the pastors. I primarily work with our student ministry, our junior high and high school. But during the summer we take a break and so I have a little bit more availability to, to speak in this capacity. And today we are starting a new message series called Battleground. And we're going to be focusing on some key strategies needed to press forward in the face of great opposition. And so over the next few weeks, if you're here with us, we'll be looking at a very interesting narrative in the Old Testament, a portion of the Bible, that takes place on a large expanse of land that serves as a battleground. And as you're going to see, it's a place where a tremendous courage is required, uh, plans need to be carefully executed, and communication lines need to stay open and intact. And those are really key features for any military unit engaged in battle. And after all, on the battle scene, there's, the stakes are as high as they could possibly get. You know, that things are at the extreme, and, and failure to learn the right lessons and make wise strategies can, can lead to devastating results. But whenever I, I read about people that lead courageously, or, or even if I just watch movies that have big, epic battles or challenges, or just insurmountable odds, you know, how could they possibly overcome all this? It's very engaging. I mean, you know, some of the best stories and movies that we love involve, you know, un- unbeatable odds and epic struggle and challenge. In fact, one of the things I especially love seeing in-, in movies like this is when there's an old seasoned mentor training up a young new recruit or a trainee, somebody who- who's green and doesn't know quite what to do. And so this is a theme that gets repeated over, over the years. You-, you see this come up in different movies. One movie, here's one. This is Rocky. And, and who's-, who's coaching him? That's Mickey. And, uh, you know, Rocky started out as a punching bag for all the big experienced fighters. And uh, it, it took courage for him to keep getting back into the ring. Here's another one. You see this mentor theme a lot in Star Wars. Here's Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke. And, and Luke was young. He, he was completely inexperienced in all things Force-related. Uh, but he courageously faced big, dark villains after he got his training. And in fact, this, this mentor relationship occurs a lot in the Star Wars movies. It's, it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, here's another one. Danielson and Mr. Miyagi. Daniel needed a lot of coaching. <laughs> if you watch this movie, you know, he developed what was time, what was needed to, to face his opponents. And uh, here's another one. A little more recent. These are going in order of when they came out. This is Morpheus and Neo and Matrix. A groundbreaking movie when it came out in the 90s. And uh, Neo, he wrestled with a lot of self-doubt. Uh, can I do this? You know, you know, who am I even on the inside? And eventually he rose to courageously embrace his role and, and push back evil. And in these movies, you even see this theme coming up a lot. And sometimes even Disney and Pixar movies, you can probably think of this mentor relationship in other places. But in the movies, it's really fun to watch the old mentors pass the baton of leadership and skill. They pass on to some valuable lessons to their, their trainees. And from the pages of the Bible, this series is going to follow a young green warrior who gained a position of high leadership after his very old mentor passed the baton of leadership on to him. So we're going to look at some of the hard but very valuable lessons that, that this, this young warrior faced uh, while he was on the battleground. And, and this, this young man, he was given an extremely huge assignment. I mean, it almost didn't even seem doable. And he wrestled with strong feelings of doubt and discouragement. Uh, he, he was met with incredible opposition, some from within himself, some from outside of himself. He suffered pain and loss. He even lost brothers and comrades. And, he, and this young leader, he had to make some tough calls. And in one case, made the completely wrong decision, which had devastating results. And so our goal specifically today is to look at the very best way to respond 
when we're faced with what appears to be insurmountable challenge. And for us, this comes in a variety of different ways. Sometimes this, this challenge and this difficulty comes in the form of a huge assignment, something that you're responsible to complete. Uh, sometimes it comes in the form of, of pressing forward in the midst of hurt or pain or loss. We have to keep moving. Sometimes it involves bearing the weight of a brand new responsibility that you've been given. And I felt this. I felt this new responsibility sensation when I first got married. <laughs> you know, it, it certainly felt like a brand new responsibility 10 years ago. And, and I had the basic understanding that, you know, as the man, I'd be responsible to, to keep us afloat, especially financially. And coming out of college life, though, I was working against myself. I, lo- I lived with the presupposition, presupposition that everything I would need to be successful in life would eventually float along at just the right time. <laughs> I'd be able to grab it and... Uh, Turns out that was make-believe land, and life doesn't actually work that way. And I learned that. Uh, but I made it through college without ever really nailing down what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so, you know, here I was working an hourly job, um, learning what it is to be married to my new bride and, and running an apartment, and taking career assessment tests online, trying to figure out what in the world do I want to do. And after I figure that out, how do I actually get a job that pays money for me to do it? And I would talk to guys, and, you know, here are those you see in my small group. I would ask for prayer, uh, for direction, uh, for advice. Hey, do you know any jobs or what should I do? Um, and just pray for financial provision. And it, this process didn't last very long before discouragement would set in. And, and I really felt like I was standing on the edge of a brand new frontier without the confidence or the direction or the tools to move forward. And, and I really was heavily guided by my feelings at that time uh, of just doubt and, and, and discouragement. It made for a, a stressful period of time, not the most ideal setting for a, a brand new marriage to blossom. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, we hit moments in life where we get threatened with intense discouragement. You know, and it varies from person to person what it looks like and the form that it takes. But God really has given all of us some key responsibilities in life. And if you don't know how to keep a firm grip on the responsibilities that he's given you, you'll go slack-handed, discouragement will set in, and things start falling apart. And every decade that passes, life gets more complex. I mean, in high school, that science project, that's a big deal. And it is very overwhelming. And getting that book report in at the right time and staying up late. And then you get to college and you realize high school was nothing. I'm so busy. I got all these places to go. I got so many like late night donut runs to make. And I got all this stuff to do. I just need to get out of college and things will slow down and get a little easier. You get out of college, you, you get married, you have kids. And then basically what happens is life gets more complex. And, and we need to develop the ability to, to bear bigger, heavier responsibilities in life. And we just have to do this. And fortunately, the Bible gives us the guidance needed to do that and to handle it well. And so the key figure that we're going to be following is, is Joshua. And we're going to pick up on his story when the leadership of the entire nation of Israel is passed on from Moses to Joshua. And uh, here's an illustration of Moses commissioning Joshua. This was just an, a depiction of a formal ceremony that may have been taking place when Joshua was recognized. But Joshua started out as an assistant to Moses even as, when he was a boy. And he spent a lot of time watching Moses. Probably just at first helping him get water and things like that. But he watched Moses make hard decisions, lead the people, trust God, and deal with division and all these things. And Joshua, over time, gained some field experience under Moses. You know, he played a key part in one of their first battles. Joshua was successful on an important reconnaissance mission that they, they needed to get some information about some enemy territory. And all of these, uh, f- the faithfulness that he had proved that 
Joshua had the potential for a leader. And more importantly, he wholeheartedly trusted the Lord. And so eventually God, he told Moses, your time as the leader is about to expire and you're going to have to pass this thing on to this young guy. And so here's what God said. Charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over at the head of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. And so Joshua, you may not know it yet, but he's about to get a massive assignment. I mean, Moses needs to encourage and strengthen this guy because he's going to need every bit of it that he can. Not only is Joshua going to be the new leader, and that's just a big thing on its own, but he's going to be the one to lead Israel to conquer the new land that God had picked out and establish Israel in a place where they could flourish as the people of God. The land that was picked out was, at the time, inhabited by people that, some groups that directly opposed God, opposed God's ways. They opposed um, God's people. And so they were going to, they they would become the enemies of Israel that would have to be conquered. And so for the most part, things were relatively easy for Joshua up to this point. I mean, he was just an assistant. But with Moses gone, the heat is going to get turned up. And so Moses finally finishes up everything God gave him to do. And it even says Moses, amazingly, was 120 years old when he died. And even more amazing, his eyesight was clear and he was as strong as ever. One one translation says his strength was unabated, undiminished. So this was a tough old dude. You don't want to mess with Moses. And so, you know, it says there had never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants in the entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. I mean, that's just a quick bio on Moses, but you get the idea. This is the seasoned old mentor that that Joshua is going to be replacing. These are big shoes to fill. I mean, you could argue... Other than God, Moses is probably the top star in the Old Testament. I mean, this is, this is a significant passive leadership. You know, by the way, Joshua, your first assignment is to lead a military campaign in the land of ancient Palestine. Go for it. <laughs> so at the beginning of the book of Joshua, God speaks directly to this young new recruit, this young trainee. And it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, his assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. One of the first things they'd have to do is cross the Jordan River, uh, which was a a big feat on its own. But they would have to get into place, get get into position, cross the Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm going to give to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So this is encouraging. but, But here's Joshua on the edge of Canaan surveying this vast land where he would literally march through and engage in battle. And and this is going to be the new home for God's people, where they were going to live and grow. And he's standing on the edge of a huge, daunting assignment. I mean, this is far more than Joshua had ever been responsible before. I mean, everyone's looking at him. Moses is gone. He's out of the picture. All eyes are on Joshua. So with his heart thumping in his chest, Joshua may have been thinking... Are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, do we have enough men? Do we have enough weapons? I mean, they were literally going to do this whole thing on foot. They didn't have horses and chariots like some of the other nations. And so just before launching out, what God says next is a simple yet ageless command that has been repeated, not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, but by many people over the centuries, over the ages. Many people have drawn strength from this next thing. These instructions that God says next... They give a sharp fighting edge to us 
whenever we're standing on the battleground. You know, with the command from God, you'll know what to do when you're given an assignment. That just seems like a behemoth. Something totally beyond your experience and what you thought would be possible. I mean, you'll know what to do. With these words, you'll know what to do when you're struck with stifling loss. How do you press forward like that? When you can't see how the next phase will pan out and, and, and you have anxiety and stress at the doorfront or, or when, you can't, when you just get to the end of another long day, the kids have worn you out and your house looks like a battleground. <laughs> what, how do you move forward? And, and there's just times in life when we slam into these moments of discouragement and fear and anxiety and just the weight of responsibility on our shoulders feels crushing. We can be like Joshua standing in front of Canaan with a whole landscape of cities to conquer, but not entirely sure how it's going to work out. It's in the face of some of these emotions that God speaks directly to Joshua. And he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. This is significant. In fact, he just, goes, he just says it one more time. In case Joshua missed it the first time, Be strong and very courageous. And be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. This sounds like something good to tell anyone going into battle. I mean, you're going to need strength. You're going to need courage. And, and it even sounds like these two words, they kind of go together. Maybe they're synonymous. And, and you know, you think it's just, just, it's just a helpful tip. But you realize... There's more to it. In fact, God tells Joshua this four times in this one chapter. And it occurs three times in the book just before. Moses told Joshua this. God told it to him as he was getting prepared. And he says it now many times. And you get the sense, this is a very important thing, this, this being strong and courageous. It's not just a general well-wishing. There's something very specific here. There's something very important to grasp. So what does it mean to be strong and courageous? First off, strong, uh, if you look into the language originally written, which is Hebrew, this word strong comes from the word hazak. And it, and it means get a strong grip on your responsibilities. It means get, get a firm grip. In a sense, it means to steal yourself, strengthen yourself, and get a grip. Because Joshua is not going to be very successful in leading this nation of people if he has a weak grip. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you ever played baseball, and you get up there, and you're not really paying attention, you just got a, you got a loose grip on the ball, and it comes, and you try to swing, and then... If you, have a, if you have a weak grip, it, it rattles your arms and your hands and who knows where the ball goes. Or This happens in tennis. Any place where you need to get a firm grip. Uh, what, you, what we need is, is to get that firm grip. You, just like this picture showing. And so, for Joshua, it means getting a clear idea. What am I responsible for? No matter how big it is, get a firm grip and go after it. Next thing God tells Joshua is be courageous. In Hebrew, courageous, it comes from the word amatz. you got hazak. And amatz, these two good, strong-sounding Hebrew words. And, and courage, uh, it has this idea of acting with great courage regardless of feelings. And really it's this, this firmness of mind and will, this, this, this perseverance to withstand danger and difficulty. Uh, but this thing about feelings, this is significant. It, basically to Joshua, what this means, hey, even if you're scared spitless, you will choose to act with courage. It doesn't matter how you feel. In fact, you're probably going to be experiencing feelings of, of fear and dismay, but you're not going to respond to that. You're going to choose courage in the face of opposition. I have an, uh, here's a, a fun image to kind of illustrate what this could look like. <laughs> this cat knows how to choose courage in the face of opposition. I don't know if you've ever had a line of, you know, I think there's German shepherds staring you down. 
Uh, but in a funny way, this shows what it means to, to take courage regardless of how you feel. So reading on, we see that the very reason that Joshua can even be strong and courageous, uh, God tells him, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And, and so these are the, some of the instructions that God gives just before Joshua launches out. And if you read on in this story, you realize Joshua actually does a pretty good job of getting everyone prepared. They get into position. They do cross the Jordan River. They do a few ceremonial rituals. They get ready. And the very first city that they engage is Jericho. And this was very strategic. Here's a map of ancient Palestine. Uh, and this is actually where modern-day Israel is. But that blue arrow points to where Jericho is. They cross the Jordan. And what happens is that uh, victory at this point would mean that they could set up a centralized point for launching attacks on, on the other surrounding enemies. So Joshua goes on. He defeats the kings in the southern half. And then he moves up his forces to defeat the kings in the northern half. And then they would have to defeat 31 kings and cities before the land would have rest from war. So the battle with Jericho was very strategic and it turned out to be very successful. So at the appointed time, his men got, they got lined up for battle around the city and it says when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight in into the town and they captured it. And then it says, so the Lord was with Joshua, you know, just as God said he would be. And, and Joshua's reputation spread throughout the land. So this is a pretty good start. I mean, if you think about it, hey, they got all this preparation, all this fear and dismay. First city, check. We got that down. Joshua's probably thinking, I'm getting a hang in this courage thing. I'm feeling strong. Clearly God fought for us. We didn't lose anybody. And news is spreading throughout the city, which kind of works in their favor. Then they move on to the next city. And things don't turn out quite in the same way. So if you read on, Joshua... He sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai. Ai is next on the list, just moving west. Uh, Ai was east of Bethel, near Bethaven. And Joshua, he wants to be wise. He wants to be careful. He's the commander of the army. army, And so he sends some some scouts to see what they're up against, basically. They didn't have drones and other kind of flyover things to, to check this out. They had to go on foot. And so when the spies returned, they told Joshua, Hey, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two, maybe 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there's so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. Basically, they're saying, hey, we got this, okay? This should be a piece of cake. You saw how things went in Jericho. Let the other guys have a barbecue. Just fire up the grills, you know, get things cooking, and save us some when we get back, all right? And so they're feeling pretty good. And so Joshua, he says, okay, he does. They said two or 3,000. He sent 3,000 just to be safe. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent. But they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 men. 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. This was a severely unexpected result. I mean, this was not supposed to happen at all. And what Joshua didn't realize was one of his men stole something that he shouldn't have in, in Jericho, the first city. And this was, ex, this was explicitly against the command of God. And what's even worse, he kept it a secret. And so, God wasn't fighting for them. There's a very important battleground lesson tied up in that, in that story that we're going to look at next week. But here we are, Israel is defeated. And yeah, they didn't just like, you know, have a mess up. They were completely defeated here. A complete surprise, a turn of events. And so, 
Joshua, Mr. Strong and Courageous. How do you think he's feeling at this point? Joshua and all the elders of Israel, they tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads and they bowed face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. And so Joshua cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're just going to let the Amorites kill us? I mean, he has lost heart at this point. I mean, he's, he, he is giving into discouragement here. And because of it, he doesn't even realize what he's saying. The very next thing he says, If only we had been content to stay on the other side, he means of the Jordan River. If only we just stayed over there. And that, that's a very dangerous thing to be saying because Joshua, by saying that, he's calling into question the very assignment that God had given him to do. And we do this too, actually. I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes we forget that the very tough assignments on our plate was given to us by God. And that sometimes God allows, sometimes he even designs the difficulties that we face in carrying out our work. I mean, sometimes we get in this position of discouragement. We say, God, why? Why did you put me here? Why do I have to deal with this right now? Why did you grant me all these kids and such a meager salary? Why are my kids sick? Or why is it so difficult for me to relate peacefully with my spouse? I don't get it. Or What, what are you doing here, God? It used to be easier back when or, or when this wasn't the case. And with Joshua... All along, God said, and this shouldn't have been a surprise, God said, you need to march into this land and capture it all. He's edging, you know, Joshua is edging into disobedience here, calling God into question. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but this, this sounds an awful lot like the complaining the Israelites did in the desert that earned them 40 years. And so this is, this is creeping into some edgy territory. He says, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? And they did, they did flee. I mean, this is serious. They did lose men. Joshua lost some brothers in arms, some comrades, people that he knew. For when the Canaanites, and he's saying, for when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about this, when they hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then, then what will happen to honor, to the honor of your great name? I mean, this seems a little audacious for Joshua to be calling God into question this way. The responsibility given to him and you've got to keep in mind, this is only city number two <laughs> on the list. I mean, they had good success, but this is number two. They've got 29 more to go. And already, Joshua does not have a firm grip. He is not acting with courage, despite the feelings of fear and dismay. And this, sadly, this is often experience that we have. We, we, we experience this. We get struck with moments of severe discouragement. Things occur that cause us to lose heart. Our, he- our heart melts away. And sometimes those circumstances are, are beyond our control. Sometimes the discouragement is an actual attack on us to, to get us into dis- disobedience, just as Joshua was, was getting there. And, and if you analyze whenever you've been discouraged, uh, or if you see people get discouraged, you, you, you begin to notice a pattern. If you analyze it, you see a progression of things. And we call this the three-point attack. There, there's a, a series of things that happen, and it's happening here with Joshua. First one is discouragement where you lose heart. Really, you lose resolve. You know, you lose initiative to, to, to press forward and to, to, to get that steely, firm grip. The emotions are strong, just that discouragement, and they can be very hard to ignore. It could be a car problem, something blows up, some huge financial thing lands on you, or it could be maybe that nothing's happening on the job search. You just, man, you're searching, you're applying, you're interviewing. Or, or there's setbacks at your job or, or in your family. And these thoughts come to mind. What I have to do is too hard. 
what I got to get done is too big for me. You know, I, don't, I just don't have enough time. And, and self-doubt comes in. Like, can I even do this? No, I don't even think this is possible for me to do. And then we get into the second point of the check. It comes next. And it's slacking. Once we're discouraged, we often stop making forward progress. You know, and it comes to mind, I just feel so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. And instead of getting that firm grip on our responsibilities, we start going slack-handed, gaining a sense of futility. I mean, why even try? Why keep up the job search? You know, I don't, want, I don't feel like putting in another application. I don't feel like getting turned down again. I mean, why clean the kitchen? It's just going to be a disaster again in a couple of hours. Or, or why... Why bother disciplining and coaching and training my kids? I've been, I've been doing that, and, and it's not doing anything. And, and we start swirling here, and then the next step, and this third strike on us, this one can really take us out, is indulgence. We get tempted to go outside of God's guidelines. We get tempted to, to, to do what God says not to do. And, and the thought comes to mind, I'm discouraged, I'm losing a grip. And, and honestly, if life is just going to bring disappointments, why don't I just go ahead and do wrong in order to at least have a bit of a good time. I mean, we're tempted to indulge ourselves in some way. It, you know, maybe it's, it's being moody and reactive and harsh towards a spouse or to my kids or a coworker, or, or it's getting into pornography or other sins. And, and the thought comes to mind, I'm already slacking off. And at this point, it just doesn't matter anyway. And I just want to feel better in some way. I, I just want, I want to feel good. And so we, we indulge ourselves. Or maybe it's some kind of distraction. You know, it could be social media or games. And, you know, I'm just going to do this for a second. I'll get a grip later. A second turns into a couple minutes or a long time. Or it could be sleeping in. I'm just so tired. I, I gotta, really ought to wake up early and handle this. Or, or I ought to stay up late and get this done. But I'm just so tired and I don't feel like it. And this, this happens, this, this indulgence. At this stage, we, we really start making the problem much worse for ourselves. I mean, at first, I just had to get a grip. But now I've caused other problems. And, and this can turn into a downward cycle. I mean, I was already feeling discouraged, but now, after all this stuff, I am really discouraged. And this leads to more slacking, more indulgence, and excusing sin. Because honestly, why does it even matter anyway? And God knew that Joshua would be tempted in this way. And, and that's why all along he's been saying, be strong, get a firm grip, be courageous, act with courage just by how you feel. And at this point in the story, we find Joshua losing his grip as a leader. He's really starting to wig out. He's starting to kind of lose his mind, doubting the job that God gave him, edging into disobedience. And after you know, Joshua goes through this, he's on the floor, his clothes are torn. God does respond, and God tells him this. Get up! <laughs> Why have you fallen on your face? You have a job to do, Joshua. Get up! This is what I've been saying all along. You know, you know, pick your feet up. And after, the, after God says this, he goes on and he fills Joshua in on the reason that they lost that battle. He prescribes the plan for dealing with it as a leader. But God fully expects Joshua to move this thing forward. And so by reading through this, this first test of strength and courage, and this really was the first big test on Joshua, it prompts us to ask some questions of ourselves. Like, what big responsibilities has God given me? You know, how well am I handling them? Am I choosing to be strong and courageous? Or, or is discouragement just threatening my resolve? Am I going slack-handed in any of my responsibilities? And very often, there's, there tends to be three categories in life where courage is especially needed. There's three things that come up with some, uh, somewhat routinely. 
Uh, and you might ask yourself, you know, am I dealing with any of these areas right now? One of them is fear. And you're not sure, you know, the fear comes in when you're not sure about the future. You know, not sure about what's going to happen, how, how the job's going to pan out. Maybe you're not sure where we're at uh, in, in our country. Maybe there's fear about that. And, and there's just so many things we don't know. There's so many things we, we can't control the outcome. And so fear is just being aware, hey, there's a possibility of damage. There's a possibility of loss. And, and that can cause fear. So that's one key area where we, we need to take courage. Another is hurt. We experience the awful pain of loss. Sometimes we lose something very valuable. Sometimes we lose someone that was very close to us. Maybe the hurt was damage done to us. Sometimes people hurt us unintentionally. Sometimes people hurt us maliciously. And in the moments when you're hurting, and it's, it's honestly, it's hard to even see the next step forward. We must choose to press forward and t- take courage while hurting. And this is very hard to do. This is, this is hard to do. One other area that we, that we face routinely is, is challenge. Maybe the responsibilities on your plate just already feel insurmountable. Or maybe challenges get piled on top of what you already have to do. And, and so often, you know, God gives us these things to move forward. And very, very difficult challenges come at the moment our mission needs to go forward. At the very moment we need to get a grip, something gets added and we experience this challenge, we need to take courage. You may be in the midst of one of these situations, and really with this whole issue of courage, we can expect discouragement to strike. I mean, courage really means, it doesn't matter how I feel. I mean, you can't wait to feel courageous. You must take it. It must be taken. And we have to watch out for those thoughts of self-pity, just that, man, I, I can't do this, it's too hard. Or, or maybe they're just not thoughts. They actually start coming out of your mouth and you tell people, this is, it's too hard, I'm too tired. It's not fair, it's not what I want. And we have to watch out for, for the urge even to bail. You know, it was better before, why can't I just go back to this? Or I'm just going to find a shortcut, I'm going to make it easier on myself. And the shortcut turns into damaging ourselves anyway. Sometimes the feeling of discouragement, it lingers. Let's say we get a strong grip. You start moving forward, but the discouragement hangs around. We still have to keep going. And so what does it look like for us to get a strong grip? Many times, getting a strong grip is doing the next right thing. We take courage by doing the next right thing. I mean, at the end of a long, discouraging day, maybe the last thing in the world that you want to do is clean up a messy house. But maybe the next right thing is I'm going to get one dirty dish and a sponge and here we go. <laughs> now I'm going to get the next dish. What's the next one? Or, or, or it's a mass, you have a massive assignment at work. What's the next right thing in the planning process or the stage or the email? I need to, let me just get the next right thing done. I mean, Joshua, he had a whole landscape to conquer, but he had to do it one city at a time. So will you take courage this week by doing the next right thing? And here's a few next steps specifically that you may consider in response. One might be to, one thing you do this week is identify a situation. I've gotten discouraged and slack-handed. And you think through that. Uh, another really helpful next step would be to memorize Joshua 1.7 and recite it when feeling discouraged. There's a lot of hope and resolve in that. Um, maybe another next step would be to ask a wise person for advice on getting a strong grip in an area of my life. We just did a whole message series on teachability and just the value that comes from that. 
What's amazing is that Joshua, he did finally internalize this message from God and he passed it on to his men. After finally defeating Ai, they did go back and they, did, they defeated Ai. The very next battle after that involved five kings that merged together to wipe Israel out. And they opposed him. But under Joshua's, Joshua's strong leadership, God gave them victory. And it says, And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, These are his, his top men, his battle-ready men. He said, Come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came near, and they put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, This is what God told Joshua. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And this shows tremendous courage on the part of Joshua. Especially it shows confidence in the Lord. And imagine what would it be like for you to have a strong grip on your assignments, on your responsibilities. Just imagine attacking the things uh, that you have to do with courage. Imagine that when discouragement does strike, you're, you're not phased by it, but you push through. And in the next few weeks, we're going to continue following Joshua as he learns other valuable lessons about pressing through on the battleground. And, and God gave Joshua that initial command of be strong and courageous and, and obey carefully. And, and he said, then you will be prosperous and successful. I mean, that's, that's, that's the end result of doing what God has commanded. Be prosperous, successful. That sounds pretty good. And, and Joshua did experience this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Before the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God spoke these words to Joshua and I believe he speaks them to us today. So let's pray together. Father God, the pages of scripture are full of hope. What you've written fills us with hope. And, and you, your words are life-giving to us. They fill us with courage and really desire to, to walk in your ways. And it's encouraging to read the way that you clearly did provide for Joshua. You gave him what was needed. You gave him the victory, especially as he trusted you. And you know that we too, we, we hit against these hard moments of discouragement and anxiety. And we have these feelings that, there's, you know, we need to take courage. We have these feelings that strongly tell us the other way to go. And so, would you give us the discernment, Lord, to see what's the next right thing for me to do this week in the situations that I face? We have to put in the effort, but ultimately, God, we, we trust you. You're, you're the one that, that gives the strength. You're the one that gives the perspective. We need your help so much. And, and you are good. You are faithful to us, Lord. Thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.